Hey, it's Greg. This is the Square Pizza Pod, cooked up by Shermco. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Square Pizza Pod. Today's episode is a recent webinar we hosted with the Jacksonville Public Education Fund, who we recently concluded a partnership with. The Jacksonville Public Education Fund is an independent think-and-do tank that believes in the potential of all students. They work tirelessly to close the opportunity gap for low-income students and students of color in Duval County. This webinar was hosted by Greg and Rachel Tutwiler-Fortune, who is the president of JPEF. What you'll learn in this episode is more about the Jacksonville Public Education Fund and the 1000 by 2025 campaign, which is a pathway to recruiting, retaining, in developing male educators of color in Duval County. Hope you guys enjoy this one. So again, my name's uh, Greg Schirmbeck. I'm the founder and principal of Shermco. So we call ourselves a social impact implementation firm. And so we aspire to do less, you know, what I'd call traditional consulting and more focus on implementation of services and solutions that are good for kids and families and communities across the country. Um, so we've been fortunate to do this work since 2014 and meet wonderful people like Rachel and Coretta and others in Jacksonville. Um, and we'll get more to, to that project in a minute. In terms of what we do at Shermco, it's really divided into kind of two separate services um, and two sides of the organization. One is focused on school support services, um, focused on what we call family empowerment. So what I would think as is a more data-driven approach to family engagement. Um, but what we're going to talk about today is on the other side of our house of our work around what we call community support services, which really focuses on strategic planning, implementation, and project management, um, but highlighted that strategic planning and implementation service because that's really the approach and the scope that we offered, and we're fortunate to partner with our friends at, at JPEF. And this is just a map, as you can see, but <laughs> we uh, have been in 16 states across the country since we've done this work. Um, and again, one of those states is Florida, and one of those cities is, is Jacksonville with Rachel and Coretta. Um, so hopefully a nice segue now where I'm going to pass it to our JPEF friends to introduce themselves. Awesome. Thank you, Greg. And thank you all so much for being here. We are so grateful to Sternco, uh, one, for our longstanding partnership now, but also just for this opportunity to have the collaboration uh, featured here. Um, my name is Rachel Tutwiler-Fortune, and I serve as the president of the Jacksonville Public Education Fund. Uh, I'm a Jacksonville native, a graduate of our local public schools. I'm a former teacher, a key partner in what I like to call our local education ecosystem. And importantly, I'm a parent of kids growing up in the 21st century, so I want to make sure our schools can deliver high quality. Coretta, you want to say hi since you're on? Hello. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Coretta Hill, and um, I am actually multitasking today with um, a wonderful group of principals coming to visit us in about 45 minutes. But I have the pleasure of serving as the vice president of the organization and um, oversee all of our strategic work, um, which you see there listed on the screen, including our research, convening partners, advocacy, and strategic initiatives, which directly supports principals and teachers. Awesome. Thanks, Coretta. And, you know, just in, in brief, I wanted to um, start by just sharing that, you know, in our efforts to help improve our public school system here, we're sort of um, always reflecting on sort of who it is that we have an opportunity to serve. Duval County Public Schools is the 20th largest um, school district in the nation. We're uh, sixth largest in the state of Florida, serving um, just over 125,000 students or so. 
many of whom are um, kind of considered within um, at-risk populations in our Title I schools. Um, of, about 51% of our students are of low to moderate income. And um, as Coretta just mentioned, um, at JPEF, we're really focused on how we can help the effort to help close the opportunity gap. So we've seen dramatic improvement in our public schools since JPEF found them back in 2009. And we're really proud to see our students continue to make great strides, including, you know, the important work of making sure that the gaps are closing. Um, but as we sort of laser focus on the work that remains, it really is unacceptable to us that not every student is yet um, supported to be successful um, in their K-12 uh, experience, but certainly beyond it. Uh, we believe at JPEF that because we have a, an environment here in Jacksonville that has a variety of high-impact organizations working on behalf of students, that um, really our value add um, is to support and to provide um, opportunities to enrich the work that's happening here and to bring innovative research-based solutions um, that can be brought to scale here in Duval County. We call ourselves an independent think-and-do tank that does truly believe in the potential of all of our students. And because of that, we're really investing in how can we close the opportunity gap specifically for low-income students, students of color, and their peers. We do that through three strategies. Um, that is to convene um, our partners um, and to help them pilot evidence-based practices and also to pilot strategies for school improvement with teacher leaders and Title I elementary principals. But all of our work is um, really supported by uh, research. We have a subset of our team that's literally dedicated to conduct an independent analysis of educational data as well as policy. And through that analysis, we are developing strategies or identifying strategies that we can be supporting implementation either in schools or across the system. That's great. Thank you so much, both Rachel and Creta. And yeah, I think the rest of the attendees will learn more about this through the webinar, but really appreciate not only the, the think tank part, but the do part of your guys' organization. I've told you that many times, but you know, at least in, in education and, and focusing on equitable education options, that we probably need less thinking and more doing. And so definitely appreciate the work that, that you guys do there and the focus there. Um, so just to kind of put context around for our attendees here, you know, in terms of like the timeline and what we're talking about. Um, so uh, my team was fortunate to partner with Rachel and Coretta from February to August of 2021. So um, just a few months ago, the project ended and really with two main objectives within the project. But of course, many things change and happen throughout that. But as you can see, you know, the first one is really helping them and come alongside them and their community partners to think about and build out a strategy around measurable goals for diversifying the teaching force in DCPS, Duval County Public Schools, as Rachel mentioned, um, as well as really going deeper on supporting male educators of color, which we'll get to more in a moment. Um, but then also like what's the plan and how can we leverage the great assets across the Jacksonville community to partner with community partners to help moving the work forward, knowing it literally takes a community and a city and a village and that this work can't be done by itself with JPEF by itself or just by JPEF and DCPS, but there's so many rich community partners in terms of values and insights across the Jacksonville community that we knew we would want to partner with and come alongside to really go deeper in this work. So hopefully that provides a kind of context and, and a, an outline. You know, in terms of our process, and I'm not going to spend too much time here, but this is kind of the four phases that we offer all of our strategy clients that I think we've learned over the past six, seven years that really allows us to go deep, um, but also get some really rich data, I believe, to, to really add value and to accomplish the objectives that our partners are asking us to help them with. And so we're really just going to focus on the two that are highlighted here today. 
uh, our external phase and our strategic testing phase. So when we kind of get to this external phase on my team's end, um, you know, we think this is a bit deeper than a market analysis, but when it comes to this project in Jacksonville, we're really thinking about what are kind of key indicators and initiatives that are working across the country that are working, that have quantifiable outcomes around diversifying the teaching force, whether it's in Houston or Philadelphia or Columbus, Ohio, or anywhere else. And are those things applicable to what's happening in Jacksonville, right? Is the makeup the same? Um, you know, what is the financial um, budget and or restrictions and just like um, city county governments are those things working similar as they do in Jacksonville. So all these things we take into account, you know, I would argue that it's not just uh, a partner's like our job to offer 15 solutions that we find in 15 different cities, but really be clear about the common indicators that we're finding in other markets before we present it back to our clients a really good sense about what's working and what's not. And so in this external phase, we're always trying to go really deep to get a sense of what's happening and what could we bring through our partnership in Jacksonville based upon what we're seeing in other markets to get some really good quantifiable outcomes in places to start. So that's kind of what we offer and what we began to offer. And we'll talk some about those specific things we found that we be, um, were offering to our partners at JPEF. But I think what people find the most exciting about our work is kind of this phase three, the strategic testing. I encourage everybody here to think about this as a continuous improvement cycle, if you will. So we're constantly collecting data, testing that data throughout a strategic planning partnership rather than at the end and beginning to implement some of this data before we ever walk away. And what we hope is that, right, we're, we and nobody else is just kind of giving PDFs and PowerPoints that look nice with pretty graphics and that sort of stuff and saying, you know, peace out, good luck. We're really trying to implement some solutions that, we think are going to drive really powerful outcomes in the community before we ever walk away um, because that's what our partners deserve. That's what their community deserves. That's what their students. And in this case, their teachers deserve. So specifically in this phase three, we're really trying to test um, what programs can we begin to think about launching in Jacksonville during our process in kind of a safe way to see if they'd really um, gain traction in the community before we officially kind of put this recommendation into our paper, handed it to JPEF, handed it to the board, um, because that's the, the results and the due diligence we believe they need and that all clients need. But also is what kind of clear quantifiable goals can we set? And frankly, there's pros and cons around retention and recruiting when you're looking at quantifiable goals, and we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but also want to shout out the school districts here because they were very open with um, sharing you know, what I'd say is de-identifiable data in a safe way so we could understand trends that were happening and not happening uh, within DCPS so we could get super specific and make data-driven decisions around recruiting and retaining edu male educators of color in a way that we would never be able to do if the district wasn't such a good community partner and gave us access to that data. Um, and so I encourage you all to do even, you know, this is obviously something near and dear to you as it is to us. Uh, but not many districts, not many large charter chains, frankly, kind of have easy accessible demographic data as it comes to teachers, gender and race for a number of reasons. Um, but it's not easy to find and it's not easy to get for many districts. But I think those that do really have a core focus around changing the trajectory and diversifying the teaching force. And we'd argue you can't do that without a clear baseline level of data. Um, and so those are some of the questions we were asking and some of the things we were kind of putting into our continuous improvement cycle throughout phase three to get a really good sense about how we could really support this work in Jacksonville. I'm going to stop there. Uh, I'm going to pass it back to Rachel and, you know, we're going to kind of go through phase four, I think, and then what kind of happened at the end of that. Um, and then we have a special guest for you all today to share more about what they're seeing um, in the classroom. 
Rachel? Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you, Greg. And um, I do want to just start by underscoring what Greg um, just stated previously as far as the critical nature of uh, the partnership that we have with the local school district. As I earlier described, we are an independent organization at the Jacksonville Public Education Fund, and we have gone through great lengths to really build a trust-based collaborative partnership with the school district. And if that was not in place, certainly none of these efforts that we're implementing in Duval County through the 1,000 by 2025 effort would be at all possible. So happy to answer any questions people have about that. But I, I would say, kind of even before getting into the 1,000 by 2025, um, that really to sort of set the stage for this work and a lot of the work that we're doing as a convener, it was really foundational that we build um, that level of trust uh, with our school district. So onto um, the initiative itself. Um, in addition to the school district, we do also have as a core partner, our local university partner, the University of North Florida. And we really, um, from throughout all of the work we were doing with Sherman um, work very closely with those two partners to really develop a plan for how we're going to tackle a teacher diversity in Duval County. I know it comes as no surprise probably to most of us on the phone, uh, on the call, I should say, um, but in our community, it's particularly as a, a southern city, but all cities really across the country, really confronting the legacy of desegregation in our teaching force and really wanted to make sure that even as we look at broader trends around the teacher shortage, that we're also being very intentional about how do we recruit a teaching force that looks much more like our student body. Um, so what we came up with, with um, Jermco support, it's kind of a three-pronged approach with three three strategies that were really, I would say, undergirded by what we heard from educators. One of the things that Jermco helped us do um, as we were planning this work is to make sure we were having conversations with um, our Black and Latino male educators in Duval County. And we heard from them three things in particular that we often reference. They would like to see more uh, professional development and support opportunities. They wanted to see more of themselves in the profession. And um, they felt that diverse male educators were simply, you know, not valued. And so as we sought to really craft this particular initiative, um, we really went about um, leveraging their input to define strategies that seemed most appropriate, again, given our community's context and where we were in this work. Um, so the first strategy was to develop a diverse pipeline of teachers through a highly collaborative approach. So as we um, really embark upon this part of the work, we're doing things like um, building upon existing infrastructure in our community through uh, a Jacksonville teacher residency program that's now housed at the University of North Florida. JPEF was actually involved in the establishment of that program through what was earlier referred to as the Quality Education for All Fund. And that partnership was between JPEF, UNF, and DCPS again. So when things are working, you don't <laughs> try to reinvent the wheel. But what we wanted to do is instead figure out, again, how we can be more intentional about leveraging that infrastructure to really attract uh, black and brown male uh, teachers, uh, prospective teachers into um, the pathway. Now for that one, it is specifically focused on career changers, so people who will be going back to school and considering teaching careers. So we thought that that would be an anchoring strategy. In addition to that one, our school system has a jumpstart initiative and, um, and there are other efforts that exist in our community that really support the teacher pipeline alternative certification programs through Teach for America and other um, otherwise 
but we really wanted to make sure that we were able to um, make sure that those various efforts were in a conversation with each other, which I'll talk more about as I continue um, down the strategy description. One other thing I want to say is that this work for us is not just about recruitment. It is also very much about support and retention. And so even as we look to attract new talent for our schools, we are simultaneously really focused on how we can build in much better, stronger supports that are responsive to what we are hearing from black and brown men about what they need in order to feel more supported in our schools. So reference here, we have the one, which I'll elaborate on um, shortly because we were excited recently to celebrate the launch of that effort, but really creating safe, affirming spaces for black and brown men to come together and to see more of themselves again as they request it, um, but also to make sure that they can receive um, the support, have the mentoring and coaching conversations that they need to be long-term um, successful. Our second star strategy is sort of targeted marketing and communications. And again, to that end of teachers seeing more of themselves in the profession, black and brown males seeing more of themselves in the profession, we're really going about developing and implementing a really robust targeted marketing strategy that really centers the voice and the experience of black and brown male teachers. So as we think about who people need to be hearing from, who perspective teachers need to be hearing from if they consider teaching in our community, it's not me. You know, we really want to make sure it is um, those uh, current black and brown men serving in our school system who can be effective ambassadors and who have the desire to be really that, that front voice and leader really um, helping to talk about what it means to be an impactful uh, leader for our students in Duval County Public Schools. In addition to really just being intentional and elevating their voices as teacher influencers, we're preparing to launch a uh, microsite that will be coming online um, here very shortly that really um, takes a variety of, 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 of strategies and information that currently is not at all coordinated in terms of how prospective teachers can access that information and to make it readily available on a microsite um, which our director of communications is working um, with a, a partner to help us um, develop. In addition, we don't want to just house what's already um, available, but JPEF is playing a very critical role in trying to attract additional um, opportunities, partnerships, and unique incentives for um, black and brown men, of which will also be elevated on that microsite. Last but not least, of course, as a research-driven organization, um, everything that we do will be continuously grounded in the research, not just what we learned at the beginning, but we want to continue to hear from black and brown men every step of the way as we go about this work. And we want to understand how successful we're being as we drive toward a thousand by 2025 goals. Um, and so we have a, a dynamic data and research team here at JPEF, and we have partners, including at the university. And um, as Greg already mentioned, our partners in the human um, capital office at the district who are all very coordinated in making sure that we can access the information we need both quantitatively and qualitatively to know about the impact of these efforts. It's our intention at JPEF to conduct annual um, surveys and conversations with black and brown men to understand their experiences so that we can leverage that information to help inform um, not only the district but all partners at the table who are interested in um, in better serving our black and brown male teachers as we uh, proceed to increase uh, the black and brown male pipeline. On the next slide, we um, just have a, a little graphic here that kind of um, articulates the funnel, as we like to call it. Um, first and foremost, we kind of start 
at the bottom of the funnel when we talk about sort of where we are especially focused through this effort in order for us to drive toward successfully recruiting and retaining a thousand black and brown male teachers in our community um, we have to kind of start with who is most inclined or kind of readily available to join um, our teaching force uh, more immediately and so we have career changers as well as those who are coming out of um, institutions of higher learning that we are especially focused on um, kind of at that bottom end of the funnel. But because we also have an eye toward long-term sustainability, and when we use the language of building a pipeline, we don't want to just see um, this pipeline dry up after 2025 or for us to kind of have um, a flat um, sense of things in, in stagnation after this particular initiative has come to and, end. and so we're working with partners who are involved kind of in um, work with high school students, with younger students, to really think about how we can also make sure that when we talk about the opportunity to become a teacher, that this is an opportunity that's being presented to even uh, younger people. So that, you know, as we often like to say, once upon a time, we talked about teachers and nursing and um, lawyers as like desirable and esteemed professions. We want to make sure our young people understand just how valued and important our teachers are to the success of our community and, in fact, of our country, and that they begin to experience teaching as a unique opportunity that they should absolutely consider on the other side of their K-12 experience. Um, so this graphic just represents not only kind of the scope of the work in terms of partners who are at the table, um, but also just the levels of, um, of stakeholders who we are targeting through these efforts. And so I think after this, I am going to invite um, Mr. Nick Nelson, um, who we're so grateful to have joined us today. He is uh, one of the most exceptional educators um, and was recognized as such this year as a top five finalist for Duval County Teacher of the Year. Hi, guys. Uh, nice to uh, nice to be here, and thank you guys for having me. Um, I, uh, I feel like as being behind the scenes in the classroom is really important to uh, embrace all these opportunities and uh, since becoming a finalist all these doors have been opened and all these opportunities I never thought were available are now at my fingertips and I'm trying to plug into as much as I can just to pass it forward to the next generation of new teachers and also um, the teachers that we still have I was at the inaugural event for the one and uh, that was a powerful movement um, it was over 150 black and Latino uh, male educators. And we shared a lot of ideas, a lot of things that I didn't even think about um, that were issues in the classroom or outside of the classroom or within the school building or just um, differences between uh, teachers and administrators. And then uh, the demographic and the race does play a role, but it's just more of you know crossing the, the lines of stereotypes and stigmas and things like that that we have to deal with. Um, so uh, like I said here on my slide, um, it's my opinion that students ought to see people who look like them in professional roles, uh, not just teaching, but in in an A um, career. Um, as a youngster, I didn't see any male teachers in my elementary school except for our guidance counselor, and he was he did not look like me. Um, I did love all my teachers, but I had no idea I wanted to become a teacher until later on in life. Uh, I was actually out of high school when I came back to one of my high school teachers who was actually uh, he's a, a male teacher, not a uh, not an African American nor a Latino, but he definitely inspired me to pursue the career. Um, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I've I've loved being a teacher every step of the way. It's had its bumps and bumps and bruises, but I see those as learning opportunities and 
uh, in all the 10 years I've been teaching. It's been, it's been great um, just to, to be able to reach students that look like me and give them, you know, an inspiration to be a professional, whether it be a teacher or a business person, whatever, just, you know, stick to what you are doing and set a goal and accomplish it. And also on the other end of it, you know, to, to crush those stigmas and to lessen the, the stereotypes, students that don't look like me and maybe girls that don't have the same skin color as me. Maybe they are learning now that people that look like me aren't someone to fear or aren't someone to disrespect. It's just someone that is just a little bit different. And um, now they're learning that there's different people in different roles in their community and how to approach them. Um, so next slide, I talk about being a change. I, I like to, um, I guess, practice what I preach. So I like, I like all the changes that are going on and the changes that happened to me, but I'm trying to be that change. Like I said, I want to change the next generation of teachers. So I'm plugging in uh, vigorously to the ones. Um, I'm trying to be someone that's active in the planning and the strategic part of that. Um, the 1000 by 2025, uh, what I learned at a meeting recently, is not just about recruiting, it's also about retaining. And hitting that number isn't just how are we gonna hire a thousand black and brown teachers, how are we going to retain the ones that we have, me being one of them, so me being able to voice what we need as a teacher or um, as a community member, I feel like that's a vital part to this whole planning process because uh, if we're not hearing from within, then we're kind of just shooting in the dark as to what's the next step. Um, there's a lot of opportunities in Jacksonville for a black and brown educator to plug into the community. Um, there's a broad sports community here, which always draws a crowd and especially with the black and brown crowd it's amazing and there's a great uh opportunity here with the jaguars to partner with them and attract you know a lot of uh fun and youthful events for the community and i'm being highlighted as uh, a male teacher of color and i feel like i'm excited about the the highlights that i've been given and the accolades but at the same time, it's good to highlight other male um, educators who do an extraordinary work. We need to make sure that they feel valued the same way that I feel valued, and you shouldn't have to reach this high of an accolade to be able to be valued. So what we're doing in the classroom and outside of the classroom really matters, and that needs to be highlighted. Um, and a lot of us like to hide behind, you know, behind our students because those are the ones that are really shining, but they wouldn't shine without us helping them or else or us guiding them. Um, and like they've been saying, there's a lot of uh, support for all the initiatives that, that have been going on, like the ones and the thousand by 2021, or by 2025, sorry. Um, so it was just incredible to be a part of it and be plugged into it, and I'm excited to see where everything goes. Mr. Nelson, thank you so much, and one congrats, you're getting a lot of love in the chat, much well-deserved love, but also special shout-out because you were in the classroom all day today and, and just came out, and so those of us that are um, former teachers and current teachers know it's not easy to to teach all day and then jump on a webinar to talk about you know these goals and sort of thing, sort of stuff. But really appreciate you being here. Um, we're gonna go really quick and just for everybody for additional context. We're at 4:34. Yeah, we'll probably go for five to six more minutes and then open it up for questions. Um, and really encourage you guys to be thinking about those and want to um, help you add as much value as possible um, throughout this phase. And so. Uh, this is just kind of a quick photo or a screen grab of the actual deliverable that we built. So we're going to talk about, um, you know, one seventy second of what was in that final report that we passed to 
our friends at JPEF. But of course, if, if you want that and you need some help sleeping at night, send it, you know, send us your email and we'll send you that and you can read the full thing. Um, but what we want to talk about and then pass it to, to Rachel is that, you know, we really understood how important it was to honor these relationships in the community. And I put it in the chat, but that, that outline and that pipeline that JPEF built, it was really incredible. And that came after, um, our partnership, but just having kind of that thought map and that asset map, thinking about who is a community partner that can help us with the youth, who is transitioning, you know, up into high school and then college and our teacher all, um, all teacher education alternative programs and others, even just that exercise, I think would be incredibly helpful and not something we see very often across the, the country. So really want to lift up um, congrats to them for that. Again, I can't emphasize data enough. So many people in our experience kind of talk about this, like we need to diversify the teaching force. We need to do more. We need things. But if you press them, even in a friendly way, nobody really has a clear sense of data. There's not a lot of districts that understand where most of their teachers are coming from. There's not a lot of districts that know where their most diverse teachers are coming from. And just getting really clear on, on pipelines, on process, and, you know, you really can't have these conversations without data. So I really want to encourage you guys back in your communities and your day-to-day -day work to really be going hard and thinking very clearly about who's bringing data to the conversation and who's not. And then again, you know, frankly, we need money to do this and these organizations need money to do this. So how can we tap community partners? Um, what else is happening in the community? And, you know, for maybe not an odd reason, but I think oftentimes in education, diversifying the teaching force comes with unfortunate, um, too much kind of conversation, I think, in our opinion, and back and forth about if it's the right thing to do or not. But oftentimes in the corporate world and other worlds, that's kind of a common conversation that's been happening for so long. Um, and we think that that should be the case in public education, that as Nicholas said, all students deserve, deserve access to high quality educators and high quality diverse educators. And I think with that data and aligning strategies um, with local fundraising efforts, things like this and really powerful results can happen in Jacksonville and in other communities. I'm going to pass it to Miss um, Rachel to talk about some of the actual kind of goals and numbers, speaking of data, right? And then a few additional wins they've had already since August, since this official project wrapped. Awesome. Thanks, Greg. And I'll be um, super succinct here. Um, but thanks to the great um, just help and support of Sherm Post, we did um, just look at a variety of different um, trajectories, goal trajectories that we could look at in order to be successful with this particular initiative. Obviously, a lot of people thought about 2025-6, and, um, you know, as we sort of um, seek to accelerate the conversation about the initiative in the community, it's something that stands out for people. Um, but as we've already described, it includes both um, recruitment and retention, and so it was important for us to look at sort of baseline where we were starting um, at the point that we began the partnership. We had already conducted a little bit of independent research just on opportunities to improve teacher recruitment and retention, um, but we hadn't delved as deeply into um, this opportunity to uh, recruit black and brown men um, and to sort of increase the pipeline. And just looking at the baseline here, we're starting at about 6% of our teachers were black men. Um, Latinx men represented just about a 1%. And so, um, you know, what we're looking to do is to sort of increase that number um, a bit um, each year to sort of help us be on path to the goal. What we often like to say is we're really working towards at least 12% improvement each year. So on the slide is one of those goal trajectories that was in the um, deliverable that Greg referenced. And then um, on the, the next slide, just as far as sort of 
where where we have been successful so far. I don't even think we kind of stated that we just started. Uh, we officially launched after all of this incredible planning work in October, October 21st of last year at an Ed Talks event. We were grateful to be joined by um, Dr. Eddie Gloud of um, Laud, excuse me, of Princeton University, and um, just really sort of leveraged his thought leadership on a lot of conversations related to equity, as in, you know, to provide again the backdrop um, against which our community, including funders, including partners who wanted to have engaged in these efforts to have a conversation um, about sort of where we can prioritize things as we move public education forward, but also what role they could play in the work, to Greg's point. Um, some quick wins since all of this began in October. Uh, we were grateful the month after um, to learn that we were selected by Mutual Venture Fund as a part of their teacher, their diverse teacher cohort, and we uh, have received a $200,000 investment from them as a national partner. And that goes a long way as we continue to build support um, from partners in our local community and also to um, just have conversations with other national um, funding partners. We, um, and um, by we, I mean Greta and our colleague Rodericka primarily have worked incredibly hard on um, building the infrastructure for the initiative. So we had had focus groups with um, term post support throughout the planning process with a variety of potential partners, but it's taken a lot of deliberate effort to um, formally establish kind of the, the impact partner or steering committee group um, that's really sort of helping to guide um, this initiative to success. And for those who are represented on that body, we have um, established firm partner memoranda of understanding that really clarifies what their role is in this, because we want everyone who's at the table to really um, be locking arms with us and helping to drive implementation um, success. Um, in addition to that, as um, Mr. Nelson was just describing, recently we were excited to partner in the launch of The Ones, which is a black male educator collective. Um, to really help build community among black males uh, teaching in Duval County here in Jacksonville and to help support not only um, broader recruitment efforts, but also retention. I think that space is especially about for the teachers we already have, how do we make sure they have the support and the community that is necessary for them to be connected and supported um, to be successful. So we're very excited to um, have supported the launch of that group um, as a part of this initiative. I mentioned earlier the microsite, which is in process and will soon be launching. That's going to provide a variety of um, resources to help people who want to become teachers get connected to those opportunities, and um, in particular to provide unique incentives and opportunities for Black and Brown um, male educators. And then, last but not least, and perhaps most importantly, one of the things that um, just made me so happy in our first kind of impact partner um, steering committee meeting was when our assistant superintendent of uh, human resources at DCPS just talked about early successes and early just results coming out of these efforts. Now, October was really not that long ago, you know, um, and so we were just so thrilled and over the moon to hear her just talk about how um, our marketing efforts have really helped um, them hear that much more from prospective black and brown males who want to become teachers. They have 13 um, enrollees in a program called the LEAP program for career changers, um, and those individuals are now on the path to become educators, uh, four paraprofessionals uh, on the path to become teachers, and 20 men of color, more men of color have already um, begun their teaching careers. Um, so we're really excited um, just in terms of our implementation timeline 
for them to share those results, it was remarkable to us because we consider ourselves really entering the official launch of the marketing effort when we get this microsite up and we're like, oh, good. We haven't even done what we really are getting ready to do. And so to see that early fruit is definitely very inspiring and lets us know that this work really is already making a difference. Thank you again, Rachel. And again, just want to, we'll, we'll go to Q&A in a minute. Um, and I'm obviously biased. So I'll name my bias here towards Rachel and Coretta and all the good people in Jacksonville, but really just want to emphasize and highlight what she said around them starting in October and getting all these things done in four or five months, plus a, a holiday in there and everything else going on in the world. Um, you know, there's districts and, and schools that don't do this in two, three years and the work they were able to get done so quickly and make real progress on the ground um, supporting wonderful humans and educators like Nick and others. Just really want to give them as much love and flowers as possible because they've done a lot of work and it didn't come easy. Um, so really just want to highlight that point. Um, and we'd love to open it up for questions. So I'll stay here on the results side just so you guys can see some of these things. And there's a few in the chat we can get to in, in just a moment about a few things that came to mind. But we'd love to just give everybody a um, space to lift up any questions. What can we answer for you about our partnership or the work that JPEF's doing in Jacksonville. And feel free to just unmute yourself um, and ask as you have a question come up. We're all friends here. One thing I'll say while we wait to see if anyone has any questions. Oh, Donnell, you're, you're going I, next. I saw you. But yeah, go ahead, Ms. Rachel. Oh, do we have someone? Okay. I was just going to say really quickly to Nick coming in the chat about the ones feeling like a brotherhood. It was just so magical, like just a feeling in the room. And I will say that myself and our um, superintendent of schools, who's also an African-American woman, um, and our sponsor, a senior vice president at the Jacksonville Jaguars, we all only stayed for the first few minutes because we did not want to disrupt the space. We wanted to make sure that, you know, we as, we as women, you know, really um, kind of um, kind of said our, you know, congrats on the launch, but then got out the way. And that was really important to us that that feels like a safe space and um, a space for true affinity. Um, so it was it was powerful. And like Coretta said, she had goosebumps. We all were like, oh my God, like this is really happening. That's great. I appreciate you sharing the, the photos and all the stalking we were doing online. Um, looked like a really special moment. So glad that uh, that took place. Um, Mr. Cannon, I think you had a question. Yeah, hey y'all, Donnell, um, Executive Director of Nashville County Public Schools in North Carolina. I'm just curious to know, like um, as you were, to uncover what are the set of best fit solutions um, in this particular um, as it relates to you know the sprint to, to invite more more men of color to work. Just wondering what have you found has been like the greatest like, barrier, right? To like the black and brown folks willing to uh, to become educators. Yeah, so um, great question. A couple of things, and um, Fred is probably going to jump soon, but I will invite her to. Um, chime in as well if I miss anything. A couple things, and we actually just released, actually we can drop it in the chat, um, a, um, a a new uh, policy brief, so to speak, after hearing from some black and brown male educators, but they talked significantly about lack of support from a variety of different um, levels, whether that be kind of classroom and the support that they aren't necessarily receiving from um, parents and others who they want to have engaged. The administrative support, whether that be from the district um, or from uh, the administrators that are supporting their schools. And certainly, I will just say here in the state of Florida, particularly right now, 
as we um, close out this legislative session, there are a lot of things that are happening that are really discouraging for educators as it relates to them feeling truly, you know, respected as professionals and able to make the decisions that they believe are in the best interest of their students. We have kind of a bill right now, very contentious, called, you know, kind of a Stop Woke Act and it's kind of a whole Don't Say Gay conversation. And so if we talk about those different things from a, um, just what does that mean as far as like, are we even trusting our educators to know what's in the best interest of their kids? You know, we know that right now these are just the most ridiculous partisan times that we're living in. Um, but all of that sort of translates into the sense that the educators are not feeling um, as supported, um, as respected, as valued as the experts that they are and really create an environment that will help their students thrive. Additionally, we have a, um, heard a considerable amount, at least sort of 50% of the respondents in um, this last round of interviews we conducted kind of talked about compensation and pay, teacher pay. And, um, you know, um, how we have lacked in our state and our community the level of investment that will really um, lead to people who are already passionate and motivated to be change agents as teachers remaining in the profession. Um, we did see a couple of years ago our governor increase um, starting teacher pay, but it, basically what it did is it took sort of um, brand new teachers and it brought them right up to where our veteran teachers are. And so it creates a retention challenge for um, those who are in our classrooms, have been serving for 14, 15 years and are making essentially the same amount of people who are just coming. Um, we've seen a decrease um, in um, sort of um, our local required efforts, sort of a millage piece since the recession back in 2008. And so I'm um, actually very excited to say that we're taking a look as a community at whether we um, should pursue a, um, or we will pursue, I guess, whether we should pass a, um, a property tax um, millage increase that will allow us to add additional compensation for teachers. And so that's something that the school board just passed at its last meeting, and JPEF is definitely championing that issue, um, considering how big of an issue compensation is when it comes to both attracting the talent we need, but certainly retaining long-term the amazing teachers who are having great impact for our students. Um, so that's just a couple of things. I'll pull it up here in a second, our most recent um, brief, because uh, we, again, intend to hear from educators throughout this work and did um, just release our first kind of baseline analysis based on what we heard from um, some black and brown educators. That's really helpful in kind of comparing notes of like, what we're up against here in North Carolina. And then if we, you shared a ton of activities and strategies, but really wondering, like, like which one is like, we, we used to like package and, and carry back to our communities, which one would you say is like the, the high lever, the lever to pull? Well, I think, first of all, thinking about this, and I'd be curious to learn more about what you guys are doing. It sounds like you got some stuff going. Um, but certainly we felt in our community, given sort of our assets as an organization, that a powerful way to approach this was going to be from a collective impact um, strategy and approach. So, you know, we're not the program implementers per se, but we think there's great power in the strategies that our partners, whether it be from the university or from um, the school district or other providers, in our community who are, have a vested interest in this issue, whether that be Peace for America, City Year, and others who are all at the table for this work, everybody can play a role, but it was the lack of coordination and the silo effect that was really creating the lack of um, sort of clarity on how we can all work together to, re to really drive um, collective results. I'll use the university, for example. They have raised millions of dollars 
and scholarships for black and brown male um, teaching candidates um, who would join the local, um, the College of Education. However, every year they would reach out to us and ask us, you know, can you help us amplify this? We're having such a difficult time finding teaching um, candidates or people who want to join the college. And I know that's not a phenomenon that's exclusive to us because we know enrollments in colleges of education have been, you know, really decreasing across the board. Um, but, you know, we're like looking like goodness. So we're saying college is free and we still can't find people who want to consider it. And, um, you know, what we found is, you know, this is the need for kind of a convener, a partner like JTEF, really making sure that those who can help feed that pipeline, who, who are doing work with young people, who will then go to college and who are trying to consider what's the best opportunities available for me, for those partners to be sitting at the same table and having the same conversations. Our um, Duval County Public Schools just started. It's, it's fairly new for them, so I think there are models that we can continue to learn from for those who have been a, a, a little bit um, down the path of implementing teaching academies in their high schools a little bit longer. But we um, have two schools, two high schools, uh, First Coast High School and another one on the west side of Jacksonville that are designated for teaching academies. And then the sort of program person who's responsible for the scholarship initiative from the university went to um, those schools to say, hey, students, you're in the teaching academy. Come to the local university. We have scholarships for you. You can learn free of charge and come out and be teachers. And those students were like, oh, we don't want to be teachers in the teaching academy. <laughs> so we're like, okay, well, clearly we have a disconnect. We need to figure out what's happening. And what it turned out was those students were in that program in particular because they wanted to um, receive the college credit. And so they didn't have an interest in becoming teachers. But you think about, like, again, how we can learn from others who really have done a great job of building the right sort of um, approach to those efforts, the conversations they're having with students, how, again, students are experiencing what it means to be a teacher before they even get to that stage. I think it leads to a different recipe of success. So, you know, as far as, like, replicable things, I think making sure that partners who are doing this work um, or interested in these same results aren't doing those efforts in silos. That's really key to our work and our model. And, um, you know, simultaneously creating a spaces of affinity, you know, like the one that really allows um, educators who are serving our students to come together and to have that safe space and to, you know, build and to support each other every step of the way. Um, those are some of the kind of immediate nuggets that I would pull out from the early work. Thank you, Rachel. And Donnell for the question. Um, we go to Mr. Patton next, and then maybe Claire's question in the chat if nobody else has one. Um, uh, but Rachel and Credit, uh, Mr. Patton asked maybe a, a juicy question, but curious about what you guys' responses to this. But sp what specifically did JPEF do to change the culture in terms of recruiting? Um, he said DNI recruitment, um, I think diversity and inclusion, but perhaps that, and um, with the lens of male educators of color as well. Mm -hmm. And by change the culture, do you mean like in our community? So, like making it um a a conversation and a body of work that partners can kind of listen we're, we're able to say explicitly is that what you mean he said yes okay so i will say um one of the greatest values which we're grateful to bring to our local community is we do have a respected voice as a research-driven organization and um i think because of our reputation and our track record for always leading with the data we kind of started this work through our analysis. And our first brief 
right before we actually started partnering with Shermco was on the topic of understanding teacher recruitment and retention. And within that study, we decided one of the most profound things that we could highlight and amplify was the um, lack of representation among students in our teaching workforce. And that was really the catalyst for the conversation. Um, as we even released that brief, kind of to the point of making sure that the district was not perceiving us as like just pointing the finger at them, but really trying to proactively work in partnership to advance solutions. Um, we actually released that brief with a cover letter from myself, from the superintendent and from the university's um, dean of the College of Education. So there was like joint ownership of the challenge and of the problem. Um, and joint recognition that there was some opportunity. We did in that same brief talk about how actually we're doing a pretty good job as it relates to administrators um, when we look at representation. And so not just shining a light on the disparities, but also on where we are sort of providing some good models as a community as well. And I think by really being intentional, both in how we disseminated that information with whom making it clear that it wasn't just us, you know, trying to say like, here's a bad thing, but we actually do have an action oriented or solutions driven orientation to what we should be doing after we release this information. It went a long way to a lot of partners. We've been very thoughtful, just understanding again, um, in our community, given our community's history and our community's present, as far as it, re um, as it relates to, you know, people just being in different stages of the conversation. Um, just really thinking through like, how do we, um, introduce the importance of this issue to different audiences um, in, in the right way that they can best receive the information. I say also because it often comes up, particularly in an environment where we have like such a significant teacher shortage. Like, you know, why are we just focused on black and brown? It's like, number one, we are not just focused on black and brown men, but as we build the pipeline, we have to do so with an intentional eye towards what is in the best interest of our students. And so we can have a conversation about the fact that we need teachers, period, and things like compensation adjustments will help us get there, while not necessarily um, excluding the fact that we can look at the data lens and say, guess what, based on what we've learned in other communities, based on research that's out there, we know that student achievement improves. We know that there's um, greater probability that students of color will be identified as gifted and talented. We know that students will um, less frequently experience disciplinary infractions when they have more teachers who look like them. And to Mr. Nelson's point, um, it's good for everybody. And so, you know, those things don't have to exist in isolation and they aren't um, competitive ideas. We can pursue both of these things at the same time. And so just being, I think, having our um, brand and reputation, our long-standing brand and reputation as a data-driven organization, and really leading with the data is how we've driven that conversation in our community. Thank and you. Then, I'm sorry, oh, I'm high at, Go ahead, Ms. Hill. It, I just really, really quickly reaffirming as well, um, that Rachel um, touched on it, but the being very intentional um, about bringing people along. And so while it, we did just officially launch the work in, in October, there was definitely a lot of groundwork laid long before that in lots of meetings, bringing people together who we think, you know, and, and asking even for their input about who should be at the table long before we even set up anything officially. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you both. That's good points. And we'll do 
just a few quick thoughts. We got about two minutes left, but um, my team, I'm happy to stay on late. I don't want to speak for Creta and Rachel, but happy to answer any additional questions. Um, but yeah, I think a really interesting data um, insight we found along the way was that a pretty impressive amount of administrators in DCPS were male educators of color. I want to say, I don't want to misrepresent the data, but somewhere between maybe 10 and 20% in that range compared to 2% of of uh, uh, black male educators were teachers. And so, you know, interesting data to, to understand and parse out about um, that compared to the teaching force to, to Rachel's point. Um, so I think that, uh, again, just reinforcing the importance of that data, really understanding kind of the, the macro level view of like where a district or a school is in order to then create a really clear plan that we actually um, can get really clear about what next steps are needed and at what level, whether it's like a te teacher assistant, teachers, administrators, that data just allows you to be really clear. Um, I would say we dropped an exit ticket in the um, chat uh, for our guests. That data just helps us and helps JPEF. Feel free to give us any feedback, good and bad. Um, really appreciate that. And again, it's five. Feel free to jump, but happy to stay on as well. Um, do you want to go to Claire's point in um, previously in the chat. And Rachel, I don't know if we have too many updates. I don't want to put you on the spot, but Claire, we did, you know, we spoke to um, different partners in Jacksonville. I want to say the Urban League and the Housing Authority. We didn't specifically um, go deep with them, but they were definitely on our list and it came up in our, the focus groups we held around how we were, oh, hey, Claire, um, around how housing, you know, is obviously connected to the lack of teacher pay and vice versa and what innovative housing solutions, whether it's stipends or something else, can we look at? Um, to support male educators of color. So I don't think, frankly, we made too much progress, but we had the conversation. I, I know it's top of mind. I'll pass it to Rachel to see if that's still kind of relevant to you all down there. Yeah, no, it very much is. I was going to, um, Fred, I think, is going to the next event. So I'll um, just briefly um, share. Um, as a, I guess, among the partners we've had at the table, there's a particular community in which a lot of development is happening. And we've talked to partners who are doing some development in those areas about, it's called Lift Jack here. Um, but by, whether there's some opportunity to really kind of build out some specific opportunities for teachers. Um, in addition to that, we actually just met, I want to say three weeks or so ago with um, the mayor's um, strategic initiatives director here at the city of Jacksonville. And through her um, just thought partnership, was able to identify um, a leader and a point of contact in sort of the city's um, housing um, office so those conversations are, are ongoing. We definitely think there's a huge opportunity, particularly, you know, until we're done um, with the compensation bit, but even perhaps beyond that, to make sure that we're um, as focused on making sure that we can make it, um, you know, affordable, attractive, um, you know, as compared to certain other large urban districts in the state of Florida. Jacksonville has a, you know, pretty um, reasonable, but it's rising because we're actually one of the fastest growing cities as well, um, which is good news, um, but want to make sure that that kind of affordability factor on the housing front is something that we're looking at. I have some ideas as well of some business partners who I'll be having some conversations with, but that particular piece isn't, isn't lost on us and it's still ongoing. Is that helpful, Claire? Thank you. Great. Awesome. Um, at one point, we had a vision of almost like a, the real world, but for the ones, and so having a, a, you know, a house. Greg, you're uh, on mute. Oh, dear. I said a lot of really smart stuff when I was on mute. I always do. Um, but at one point, there's a vision to almost have like a an adult dormitory or like a cool house, like a real world situation from MTV, but just dedicated to the ones and supporting male educators of color. Um, you know, that's a, maybe a pipe dream, but it's something I think is well-deserved and would be pretty cool for a number of reasons. Um, 
Well, thank you. I know, Rachel, you got to go. And Mr. Nelson, you had a full day teaching. Um, so we'll end here. Claire, thanks so much. Let us know if uh, I think you have my contact if we have any additional questions or anything else. Um, but Rachel, thanks again. And we'll be in touch soon. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much. Thank Great. you, Greg. Bye, y'all.